All right, welcome to another edition of Match Chats on Leadership. Great to be with you all as uh, we roll forward here in the winter. Supposed to have a winter blast blizzard uh, this evening and into Thursday and Friday, calling for up to 24 inches. I'm sure our next guest uh, can uh, chuckle about that a little bit from his uh, younger days, but now that he's in Hawaii, uh, he's not going to see that weather. Uh, I am Matt Childers. I'm your host of Match Chats on Leadership, the executive director of Allen Lyman Leadership. And this episode uh, of season three, we welcome in, uh, he's a hometown hero and longtime friend. Uh, it's Dr. Sean Hussey, a graduate of Bath High School, a graduate of Miami University, and a graduate of the Ohio State University College of Medicine. He's coming to us from Hawaii. He's a uh, doctor in the Navy and a captain in the Navy, and uh, we welcome Sean Hussey. Dr. Hussey, how are you this morning? Aloha. About the weather. I miss it. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So, uh, well, you, you're not going to miss. I don't think you're going to miss the 24 inches. Now, that's a little, that's a little heavy on the snow. We all, I always, as somebody who does not like the snow, tries to get through January kind of unscathed, uh, and then into February where you only have about six more weeks of it. So, um, we'll just hunker down and watch that's some hoops. Today. Yeah. Today, today's Groundhog Day, isn't it? That is yeah. right. That is what. He, he, Let me he, tell you, it is uh, 75 degrees and sunny every day. Isn't always what it's cracked up to be. It gets kind of boring. Well, I was going to say, what's the downside? <laughs> 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 yeah, there isn't one. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, uh, hey, listen, it, it's an absolute pleasure to have you uh, with us today, and. Uh, you know, we, we go way back. We we uh, we 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 had uh, mutual friends and uh, mutual uh, acquaintances back uh, in the mid '80s. Uh, uh, in, indeed, when I played basketball out at uh, OSU Lima for Coach John Stroya, uh, your dad uh, was one of the great administrators at then Lima Technical College. It's now uh, Rhodes State University. And uh, so it was just a magical time, I felt like, in the, in the sweet spot of hoops and Lima land. And then being able to play for John uh, was terrific. And so uh, why don't you just, just real briefly just give our audience a little bit of a background. You went to Bath High School and uh, you were raised here in Lima and uh, graduated from Bath in 1989. Give, give us just a little bit of your background and kind of your memories of those times in the mid-'80s. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I grew up in pretty, uh, what I would consider now, having traveled around the world and spent time with people from all around the world, uh, pretty humble beginnings there uh, in, in Lima. I did grow up, as you mentioned, in Bath Township and uh, played basketball and played a lot of sports. And we could talk more about that and how that impacted me and the leaders that I learned from as a high school athlete in, in the Lima land. Um, went on to Muskingum College actually for a year, thinking I was going to be a Division three basketball player, but reality hit pretty quick after uh, the first season of that. And of course, I eventually found a, a love for science and medicine, which uh, kind of led me in a direction to transfer and, and give up my basketball dreams in, in pursuit of uh, medical school. Uh, graduated from Miami, went to Ohio State, as you mentioned, uh, and did my medical school there. And, and somewhere along that path, I I, in my, at Miami, I was I was looking at medical school and decided that uh, you know I really couldn't pay for it. And, and the Navy at that time still do they offer scholarships for medical school. And 
if you're willing to join the Navy, and that goes for the Army and Air Force too, but the Navy appealed to me the most, so signed up for the Navy. To, and I've said this over the years, I'm not ashamed to say, it was, it was strictly for the money in the beginning. Uh, but look where I am now, uh, you know, 30 years later, still in, obviously have found a, a love for the service uh, and what it stands for. And I've spent really the last uh, 25 years or so since graduating medical school, uh, serving in, in some capacity with the Navy, doing, tra doing various trainings and deployments and leadership positions. And hopefully we can get into some of that uh, over the next uh, 30 or 45 minutes or so. Yeah, for sure. An impressive career. and profession for sure we thank you for your service i i'm curious what what did you find out at muskegon that that uh you didn't know prior to that and you you know we all thought we were going to the mba right when we were you know 12 and 13 and 14 15 years old what what did you find out there in division three basketball what i learned pretty quickly was that the the effort and sacrifice that is required at that level and i don't think it was just specific for my particular coach, a guy named Jim Burson, who you may remember from yeah. the 80s, who the father of Jay Burson, who played at Ohio State. Yeah. What I learned pretty quick was um, it was it was a 12-month-a-year, seven-day-a-week job, mm. even at the Division three level. I uh, There was off-season workouts. There was before-class film sessions. There was practice year-round. I mean, it was a true commitment. And then, uh, to kind of rub salt in the wound, in my opinion, was you would go play games uh, in that in the uh, the Ohio Athletic Conference. You would go and play games in front of crowds that were smaller than I played for at Bath. Yeah. And uh, so you really had to have that <clears throat> that true love and passion for the game that went above and beyond my opinion everything else. There are certainly people that did that had that passion. Uh, I was unfortunately at that time looking to do something else that required a lot of time too with with my my studies. And, it became a balancing act that I just didn't want to deal with for four years, so that's why that decision was made. Yeah. Uh, did you have Did you have a couple of opportunities, and or was it Muskegon kind of the whole way through your senior year? No, I, I had. Uh, I was not a highly recruited uh, player coming out of Bath. Uh, well, you were it's right around your time too, so you know better than uh, than most probably. Um, there were a lot of there were a lot of great players uh, around that time. I certainly was kind of the, the junior varsity of the great players in that area. So I, I didn't get a lot of looks. There were some Division three schools, Capital um, and Muskingum were two that were on my radar, but uh, I, I was not, you know, wed to the Muskingum Muskies from, you know, age seven or anything. It was uh, it was the one school and, and Coach Burson showed the most interest. Uh, and I was, uh, at the time, just eager to play anywhere and so that's where i that's why i yeah. fell in there at yeah well you sell yourself short you you were a you were a terrific player and and uh <laughs> that the, the beauty of lima though is we just have great uh we've had a great uh history of great players and uh, that's what's kind of fun about being around here if you love hoops uh and uh and then so you're off to miami uh what, what's that conversation like you had great parents and i'm sure they were incredible role models for your for you um your grad your dad was a great leader at ltc i i still remember how that 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 was really my first exposure i i felt like i'm sure coach segerson at lima central catholic uh from a leadership standpoint but coach stroya your dad uh others out at uh osu lima and and, and lima technical college but that was kind of where you you kind of had to grow up a little bit and and know that um you know, it's it, uh, everything wasn't laid out for you. Um, you had those great role models. C 
could you just share a little bit about your parents and how they kind of guided you and and then what that conversation was like going to Muskegon and then and then subsequently to Miami and then to medical school oh sure yeah both of my parents were educators you've already spoken about my father who was a teacher really uh, initially he taught actually at OSU Lima before he jumped over into administration but always stayed connected to teaching in fact still taught classes and Latin and medical terminology throughout his administrative and then even into retirement. So he was very focused on academics. My mother was a teacher. Uh, she was with me when I was born, but went back to school and actually taught at Bath. Uh, she was an English teacher. So you can imagine, I was an only child, so you can imagine mm-hmm. being in a household as an only child with two parents who were very focused on uh, the value of education. And so that was always something from the as early as I can remember, something that was. Uh, you know, that was a great influence on me. That was something that I had to focus on. Uh, so when I made the decision to go to uh, Muskingum, I, I won't put words in my parents' mouths, but I, I, I do think there was probably, even though Muskingum is a very good liberal, small liberal arts school in Ohio, which there are a hundred in Ohio, um, I'm sure they felt a little bit disappointed that I was going to play basketball. Um, and, and then a year later when I decide I'm going to pursue medical school, I'm going to give up Muskingum and, and switch to Miami of Ohio, I, I think that was probably, we had those discussions and, and they were completely supportive. They were supportive of me going to Muskingum as well, but I think, I think they probably were happy that uh, I had put my NBA dreams aside, the Muskingum Muskies were not the road to the NBA and, uh, <laughs> and pursue that, that medical career. And I'll tell you something else they probably were happy was, uh, you know, Muskingum was a private school and, and, Ohio, and Miami was a state school. Yes, so, yeah. Uh, that, that tuition drop, it's nothing like tuition these days, mind you. As I recall, Muskingum was about $16,000 a year at that time, and uh, I think Miami was around four, so, yeah. which was a lot of money in 1990. You know? so, Indeed. Uh, so I could go to school for, for an entire um, four years at Miami for the price of one at Muskingum, so that, that I'm sure was something uh, they, they were happy about. But, you know, my parents were, I think, like, like a lot of parents in the Midwest in that era, really just uh, try to impress upon me the, the importance of getting an education, of making something of yourself, of giving back to society. And, and that has stuck with me, you know, to this day as a parent myself. Yeah, that's uh, really well said. Uh, it's Dr. Sean Hussey with us here on Match Chats on Leadership. Uh, for the uh, 2022 season of Allen Lima Leadership, we're just really, really great to have uh, Dr. Sean with us here today. He's coming to us live from uh, Hawaii, and uh, we're getting ready to get a blast of a blizzard here, and so uh, we uh, feel very good for him being in 75 and sunny. Uh, when you think about uh, oh, just a quick paragraph, I'll, I'll, I was the uh, the black sheep of my family. I was the baby of 10 grandchildren. All ten went to Miami, or all nine went to Miami prior to me. Uh, just a paragraph on Miami University, because uh, some of our uh, youth will, uh, our, our leadership youth group will, will uh, 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 listen to this, and uh, just a thought on uh, what that was like in Oxford. I think it's a hidden gem, and I'm going to be honest. I didn't know a lot about Miami when I was in high school, when I was growing up in Lima. I didn't. Mm. I knew a lot about uh, Ohio State. I knew a fair amount about uh, Bowling Green yeah. and Toledo. Yeah. But but I, I honestly, if you had asked me as a junior in high school, uh, Miami University, my first thought, like I think a lot of people around it would have been Miami, Florida. Sure. And and so, but, but I will say it, it sh- helped shape me. 
Um, I spent obviously a lot of time studying down there in the pre-med uh, curriculum. I think it's got a, so I didn't probably take advantage of all the uh, social life that goes on down there, which is robust, yeah. as you probably know from your, your family, but, but it offers uh, an academic curriculum that uh, is, is maybe second to none, in, the, in, in my opinion, in that part of the country. It, it's sort of dubbed a, a little bit of a public Ivy League school, yeah. I could see where it gets that reputation. Nothing but good thoughts about Miami, although at the time I had a girlfriend who went to UC. So I spent a lot of weekends, uh, when I wasn't in the library during the week, I spent a fair amount of time down at the, the Cincinnati campus, but uh, nonetheless, a great part of the country and a great school. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Okay, so uh, let, let's, let's just talk as we're, we're talking through leadership. What, why healthcare for you and why becoming a doctor? What, uh, what was that pathway for you? Great question. I mean, I've, I've been asked this a, a lot over my career, and I'm going to be perfectly honest. I, I, I don't really know. I mean, when I think back, there was there was not. Um, I, I didn't grow up uh, around medicine, as I mentioned. Neither of my parents are, are doctors. Really, nobody in my family is a is a doctor. Um, there, you know, at, at Bath, there wasn't a push to get folks into medical school. I, I, I can only kind of relate to what must, and I think back to what was going through my 16, 17, 18 year old mind. I'll be honest, I did want to be a broadcast journalist for a large part of my high school mm. and college. I actually went to Muskingum as a, as a communications major. I wanted to be the next Marty Brenneman. Yeah. Um, that, did, that didn't work out either. But I did have, unfortunately, when I was uh, in high school, I did have a few surgeries myself. Um, so I was introduced to medicine you know, really as a, as a patient um, and, and was fortunate to have a couple of great doctors there in Lima, one uh, Gary Schneegenberg was an orthopedic surgeon who yeah. operated on my knee, yeah. and uh, a, a guy named Ron Bush who operated on my lung. I had I had lung surgery before my senior year in high school, and so spent a fair amount of time as a patient interacting with physicians. So I, I look back now and I think that 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 did pique my interest a little bit. I think initially into wanting to do something that uh, was interesting, that uh, was stable to make a career out of, and and actually you know the ideal is. The idealistic uh, let's help some people right and uh, I, I, I met with dr. Schneegenberg later on in my college career when I was at Miami I came back I came back to Lima a few times shadowed him and observed him kept in touch with him so you know he was definitely an influence in me and my decision to go into medicine uh, but certainly I was not the hey from age six I wanted to be a, a cardiothoracic surgeon or a you know, emergency room doc I was kind of a late bloomer and you know, that's a point I think to make for all the folks out there is that uh, you don't have to set your life up at age 15 or age 25. Uh, things change, things evolve, uh, life experiences shape who you are, what you want to do, and it certainly was the case uh, for me in, in, in becoming a, a doctor. By the way, I, I'm a pathologist, and I, that was what I eventually settled on. I, I, I did some training in general surgery before switching over to uh, pathology after I did medical school and I know one of your guests recently was a pathologist too which I listened to the podcast with her and yeah. so it was interesting to hear her perspective and, and I think we share some of the same uh, sort of experiences yeah uh, that's it's I mean it's incredible and especially how it's played itself out you go you know after you graduate from high school 30 years later and here we are uh, with this uh, global you know pandemic and that's right up your alley what what have what have you learned and what have you learned uh, from a leadership standpoint uh, in these past two years 
uh, due to this uh, global pandemic. And you're right in the heart of it, so being in the military and then being a pathologist. Well, I, I think there's a lot to learn about the science part of it. And I, I, honestly, I think that's less important than probably what I have learned and what I think many people have learned, and that is the way people sort of react um, and interact with each other as it relates to some of these topics like vaccines and COVID testing. Uh, in the military, we have a little bit of an isolated environment. We're a bit of a bubble. We can make people do things. And so it probably hasn't been nearly as uh, problematic as others uh, in the sort of, quote, civilian world. But one thing I've learned in my leadership role, and I've been uh, sort of the chief operations officer out here, so I have to make a lot of decisions. I, I get the full brunt of a lot of folks and their opinions, is what well, you really have to be able to put your biases aside. And this goes, and this is really for leadership in general. COVID has taught it a little bit to me, but it applies anywhere. Put your biases aside when you're interacting with people. Listen to folks. Try and understand where they're coming from. Because I'll be honest with you, there's more than one right answer with regards to COVID and with regards to vaccines. And, um, you know, even the science can, can sometimes give you a couple couple different answers. So I think that's important for, for folks in general, certainly for leaders, is to be able to kind of empathize with another person's position. Uh, you may not have to necessarily agree with them, but I think we better... Um, better at least understand everybody or we're going to be in three or four or five different corners just lobbing grenades at people yeah very very good very well said um yeah so um let me uh let me just circle back uh just on a uh, a couple of things um uh our, our i i mentioned our good friend john stroy a mutual friend who was the uh athletic director and the uh uh the coach at uh, osu lima for more than a half a dozen years uh, in the uh, beginning of the 80s, and re- really just uh, had a terrific uh, pr- had a terrific program. Tremendous uh, recruiter, uh, really put that uh, uh, OSU Lima Tech uh, basketball program on the map. And then he eventually gets the Youngstown State job. One thing that I I really uh, uh, I reached out to John and I said, what uh, what what questions would you have? What questions would you have for uh, Sean? And uh, so he had, he had a couple. Uh, he, A, actually got back to me very quickly, uh, which is not necessarily right up John's alley, but uh, he uh, is a great leader in, in himself. And he said, ask what path and type of guidance should a young person take to have a successful career? That's his question. Yes, yes. <laughs> he's, got, he's got four of them, so... I'll let I'll bring them all up. So, <laughs> so what would I what guidance would I give to young people to have a yeah. successful career? Yeah, yeah. I I think you can't be I think you can't be afraid to take chances, um, and you can't be afraid to be uncomfortable, and and that's very hard for. And I'll be honest, I'm not even sure I I did it as a as a as a young person. Um, it's very easy to stay sort of in your comfort zone do what you like to do, hang around with the people you like to hang around with, don't ask too many questions. It's the path of least resistance is very comfortable. And, and I probably did a lot of that when I was a teenager myself, looking back. But what I've sort of learned is over time is that, uh, so the advice I would give is, man, if you if you wanna do something, if you even if you don't think it's maybe what you wanna do forever, but if you, if you just have questions or you want to explore an area or a career field or try something new, 
that you need to you just need to go for it, um, and you need to ask people, and you need to speak up. I think a lot of folks when they're young are afraid to sort of draw attention to themselves, they're, whether they're shy or whether they just don't want to cause a, you know, a fuss. And that, many times that's just kind of the wrong answer. Now, I'm not saying you need to be uh, annoying or you, you, know, you need to not give other people opportunities to talk if you're, for example, if you're in a room. But you need, if you have questions, you need to get those answered. And so, you know, I mentioned that I, I reached out to Gary Schneegenberg. You know, I was, I was reluctant to do that because I, you know, I didn't know him that well. He operated on me. But, you know, I just, my father and my mother, I think, probably guided me to say, hey, yeah. if you want to be a doctor, maybe you should, you should talk to a doctor. And, mm-hmm. and so I just reached out to him and said, can I, you know, can I follow you around a bit? Um, I, I no experience in the military uh, with my family or growing up and or in my, even in my extended family. We're, we're not necessarily a military family, but I thought it would be kind of cool. Um, yeah, they offered the scholarship, but you know that was a chance. That was a risk, and so and look where look where it has taken me. So, I think just going for what you, um, what you're what you want to do, what you're thinking about, um, is is one piece of advice that that I don't think I don't think folks are, are necessarily willing to take advantage of. Yeah, yeah, very well, very good. Uh, we're visiting with Dr. Sean Hussey. And uh, the next question is, when people, coaches, I like this a lot from Coach Troy, when people, coaches, talk about we need leadership, what does that mean? How do you define leadership? No, uh, another a great question. There have been books written about this. Um, I, I'll tell you, just I, I kind of try and keep it simple. Well, there are leaders, right, and then there's sort of the, the manager group, and then there's the follower group. And, and to me, the leaders – aren't people necessarily who are in charge. They're not the people who hold the highest position. They're not the people who have the most money. Because uh, I've seen leaders who are not in positions of authority or, or don't have the highest rank. Yeah. I mean, those are the people, to me, the leaders are the ones who uh, make an impact on other people, who get people to want to do something that they may not be that excited to do, right? Uh, and they do it not necessarily just when people are watching. So, um, I kind of think of leaders as people who work for those who are sort of below them. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that sort of in a hierarchical, hierarchy way. Yeah. They, flow, work, flow they work for those who are below them. Managers tend to work for people who are above them, right? They, they're trying to meet goals and they're trying to uh, meet someone else's expectations and, and, and reach targets. Got it. But, but leaders can be so... Uh, effective and so impactful just by their actions and how they hold themselves uh, and and sort of a, sometimes even an unspoken message about how they uh, how they inspire others to do work and I'll tell you I was fortunate you've mentioned a few I was very fortunate I think uh, growing up in the 80s in Lima and, and an athlete because I was exposed many uh, what I would consider great leaders uh, in, in just the sports world. I think sports is a great, by the way, a great avenue to um, uh, practice leadership, to often see good leadership. You mentioned John Stroya definitely uh, had an impact on my life. And the coaches that I had at Bath and basketball from Dwayne Holt to Mark Shine, um, and, and probably the one who I was with the longest throughout my time at Bath, Greg Mark, who I know is still there as the, mm. as the girls' basketball coach. Yeah. I, I, I still, keep in, I still you know, keep in touch. I try to keep in touch with them, probably not as much as I should, uh, but I do have them all on my email and phone. And, and I, I still remember you know, 
events and memories from my time in high school and carry that with me, um, you know, to this day. So I, leaders can be very um, influential, and, and I, I think mentorship is probably something that is, is undervalued in society as a whole, um, you know, in 2022. I don't think we do a very good job of mentoring, and I don't think people look to have mentors probably as much as they should. I, I was speaking with a colleague uh, the other day, and um, he is uh, in charge of an organization here in Lima. Uh, it's, uh, it's a nonprofit, and I'll, I'll just say it because I don't think he would mind. It's the United Way. And um, I, I consider him young, um, meaning that, uh, well, that means he's like under 40 is, is, uh, is my guess. But he has, he sought out a mentor and uh, they meet on a monthly basis. And he said, it's just been incredibly productive. Uh, his, his mentor uh, is a guy named Barry Clark who played football at Bowling Green, but also owned, uh, was the, the CEO and president of the Perry Corporation, which is a big, uh, they sell copiers and, and other other things and been very successful. But I, I just think that that's a revelation there, that here's somebody who's the CEO and president of the United Way, and he is looking for a mentor and looking to keep himself in the right perspective, uh, on the right path, uh, having uh, objective uh, criticism or uh, constructive criticism coming back his way. So. I really agree with that. When you're thinking about becoming a great leader, uh, the ability to have a mentor and somebody who's been there before, willing to tell you the truth, willing to uh, give you uh, um, advice that and counsel that is uh, that, that that will put you in a better position down the road, I think is really constructive. And I think you're right. The the younger you can start that, and you can have different mentors throughout your life. You can have multiple ones uh, going yeah, forward. And, and, and- and Matt, I'll tell you, it, it, it can be structured so many different ways. I know a lot of folks want a mentor-protege relationship to fit a particular yeah. structure. It does not have to do that at all. I've had mentors that I speak with, uh, or, or protégés for that matter, that I speak with once a year. I've had some that I have now in the military. Uh, I t- because I take, it, you know, I take it seriously and I value it, I've got both enlisted and officers and civilians for that matter, who I, who I meet with on a regular basis. We have standing like monthly meetings. We've got, a, we've got topics we wanna hit. In fact, this Friday, I'm meeting with a group of uh, young soldiers because I'm at an army hospital, even though I'm a sailor. And we're gonna be talking about a book called A Message to Garcia that we're just gonna break down and, and go through it. And so that's a very structured format, but just, just reaching out and, and having someone who uh, maybe shared an experience or, as you said, can give you that guidance and advice, um, boy, that's valuable. Yeah, gosh, I, yeah, that's, I'm really, really proud of what you're doing there. Uh, let, me, let me ask uh, this question. What, uh, what did you learn that you probably didn't know when you went into the military? So it's, it's you know, you're, you're living your life, you're at Bath High School and you're at Miami University and... And uh, at one point, you decide you're going to go into the Navy, and you, you mentioned that because of medical school. Um, what did you learn there, and what was the biggest surprise uh, that you had as you entered into that, which I think is kind of a scary thing for somebody who grew up in my shoes and went to Catholic schools and uh, probably did not have the discipline to, to do that. What, what was that like, and what did you learn, and what were some of the surprises? I'm sorry. Did you say with medical school or with the military? I'm sorry. Yeah, with the with the military. That that component, how it 
you know, you, you, you kind of bridged them to go to, to go to medical school, right? Uh, and that's why you, yeah. that's why yeah. you went into the military. Yeah. Um, I think I've learned a lot, uh, multiple things, uh, over my 25 years in the military. Uh, you know, one thing I, I learned, I think, uh, right out of the shoot was, um, how, how, how diverse people are. I was a little bit uh, protected at, at in Lima, um, and even for that matter at Miami. And then, you know, with a cadre of about 200 medical students that I really was just living in a bubble with for four years. Coming into the military, um, I, I saw that, uh, you know, here's the thing, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. And, you know, you think yours is the most important and you think maybe you've had the most to overcome and endure. Um, you know, for me, a couple of surgeries in high school and, you know, being an only child and not having money at my disposal and, and thinking that, you know, what, and then you, you get into the military, uh, at least for me, yeah, that was, military is not the only place where you would discover this, but for me, joining the military and being around folks from all over the country, all over the world, really, for that matter, in the various backgrounds and struggles that, that different folks went through and that what they had to overcome, I, I just learned a lot about about people um and i and i think what it taught me was the importance of humility and and to be humble and that you really do have to connect with people you have to be willing to listen to people um the military is very good about uh, you know in the movies about being very disciplined and it is and certainly leaders have this uh you know, hollywood uh, aura of, of being you know they yell and they give a lot of orders and they direct mm. but i and there is some of that but I have learned that the folks in the military are, especially um, in leadership positions, are extremely educated and smart going to, you know, all of the Ivy League schools and the Stanfords and the, the MITs. They're, they're here in the military and they're very, very bright individuals. Um, and so what I, I, I think the main lesson I have learned in my time in the military is that just walk into a room, number one, know you're not the smartest guy in the room. Mm. and be willing to listen and, and stay humble and uh, just kind of absorb other people's stories uh, um, because there is, there is a lot out there outside of Lima, Ohio or Miami, Ohio or Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, that's very well said. Uh, okay, uh, so you're uh, in the military and uh, that, that wasn't the path that a lot of doctors take, but uh, <laughs> it probably gives you uh, the ability to see some places and, as you just said, meet some folks that you never thought you would meet. Uh, give us a little snapshot. Uh, we'll go kind of into rapid questions here. Give us a snapshot of some of the great places uh, and most interesting places that you've been around the globe. Well, I was stationed for two and a half years in Guam, a little island in the Pacific. In fact, my, my daughter was born in Guam. That was uh, that was a, a a tropical paradise. I mean, I'm in Hawaii now, which is very nice. Don't get me wrong, and I and I love it. Hmm. Uh, Guam was just so unique, though, um, in, in a number of ways, from from the people to the culture to the weather. So that was some place I never thought I would be when I was sitting uh, in the classroom at Bat High School. Uh, I've been, you know, I've been deployed uh, to Kuwait and Iraq, and spent some time in Jordan, and. Uh, also did humanitarian missions in Haiti. Been to Haiti twice. Unfortunately, one once was after a major earthquake, and there was mm. a fair amount of devastation in 2010. Uh, but also spent time in, in South America, uh, Colombia, Panama, 
Central America, Nicaragua, Panama, Central America. Um, gosh, that's a lot. That's probably. <laughs> I mean, those are those, those are the ones that stick out because I spent you know considerable time in all of those. But uh, and they're all they're all unique, and of course this, the the context of being in those places uh, adds a lot to the experience. You know, if you're in a humanitarian assistance disaster relief setting versus a war setting. Yeah. versus what I am now, which is more of a, a work, kind of a standard work setting, albeit with the, with the pandemic in Hawaii, that, that adds to the ambiance of, uh, of, of locations. But certainly the Navy has, has brought me places, and one of the reasons I've stayed in uh, has brought me to places and uh, exposed me to things that I just would not have otherwise probably had a chance to do. Indeed. Uh, what... Uh... Can you can you name a few uh, since you you know in the military because we, we you talked about some of those uh, in your uh, developing years in high school and then college. Tell me about uh, some leaders or some concepts that you've learned since being in the military that would uh, would help our emerging leaders within our uh, Allen Lyman leadership class. No, great. Um, I, I've learned a lot throughout my life. I'll, you mentioned the military, so I'll start there. I. I I've, uh, especially the last five to 10 years, I've been in positions where I've been exposed to the high, really the highest levels of leadership. And I'm talking about, you know, people who are admirals and generals and, and was fortunate enough, if we're going to just name one, I was fortunate enough to be on the staff for a little bit of a, of a Marine Corps general. I spent a fair amount of my time, even though I'm in the Navy, well, I spent a fair amount of my time with the Marines, probably about nine or 10 years of my career. And I had to, I had to, privilege really of being on the staff as the, as the medical advisor to uh, a guy named General David Berger, who's now the Commandant uh, of the Marine Corps. And this was before he was the Commandant. Uh, he was the one Marine Expeditionary Force commander at Camp Pendleton in California. And, and what I learned from him, you would expect a Marine Corps general leading really the largest uh, active uh, force uh, at the time at Camp Pendleton in the, mili- in the Marine Corps, you'd expect someone like that to be uh, like a Colonel Jessup type, uh, mm. you know, who'd be in your face, Few good be difficult to get along with. And he, yeah, exactly. And he was, he was, uh, and this is why he's coming. Uh, he was so um, patient and so smart, obviously, to get to that position. And to just be able to sit and watch him mm-hmm. in meetings or how he would interact with folks. And this is, I, I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, is he listened to everybody. Now, he was probably the smartest guy in the room, but you would not know it when you walked in. He would sit and he would listen to everybody. He was interested in everybody's opinion, and you could just see his mind work. Um, some people are just like, it's my way. Uh, I'm not really that interested in what you have to say. I don't really want a lot of input because I know what's right, and here's the way we're going. And, and sometimes maybe you have to do that. But with, with General Berger, I mean, almost to every meeting I went with, uh, went with him to, he was interested, and he processed everything. And then at the end of the day, he made his decision. And people went with it. But I, I learned a lot from someone who was the highest-ranking person, and now is the highest-ranking Marine. At that time, he was the highest-ranking person on a 50,000-person base. To, to be so wow. patient, humble, smart, uh, attentive, self-aware, uh, empathetic, I think that opened some doors to say, in my mind, to say, you know what? You don't have to be. Uh, you don't have to let everybody know how important and how smart you are. And so, that's a lesson I've I've learned. But I, you know, I've learned lessons from folks there in Lima too. I can recall. You know, I mentioned some of my coaches. Um, I learned, uh, you know, from Dwayne Holt, 
as a sophomore in high school, which was his last year of coaching when we went, we were two and two, Matt, and we ended up two and 18. So you mm. know how, you know how December, January, and Mar- uh, February went for us in 1986, 87. Yeah. But we lost a lot of ball games, but boy, I mean, his, his moral compass and his drive was, would never waver. Uh, and he was just, uh, I think back now to that and think about, you know, he did not let, let that bother. He was, he was, he was, he did not let that bother him. He was on a different plane. He was more interested on us as men, uh, boys, I guess at the time, but yeah. how we would react and, and how we needed to react. And I, and I think that was, that was huge. And Greg Mock teaching us, uh, you know, that basketball players are made in the off season, you know, and he would, yeah. I, I can remember him jumping rope with this heavy 10 pound jump rope in summers and how important open gym was and just kind of drilling into us that it's not enough to be good at something to just do it, especially in basketball during the season, you needed to put in the time on the off season. So that, that was a lesson at age 14, 15 that I learned. Yeah. Um, John Stroya taught, John Stroya taught me lessons about, you know, how to, how to have fun with your, your play. He was, I mean, he wasn't that older, much older than you guys. Right. I mean, he, was, right. He, was, he was probably 25 coaching a bunch of 20 year olds. That's, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But the enthusiasm and the passion for winning, uh, and, um, you know, so just, I learned just so much from uh, a number of people uh, growing up. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Dwayne Holt's daughter, uh, Christian, uh, Kristen Holt is now the athletic director at Bath and, Greg Mock is still adding uh, wins to that ledger that's uh, been a remarkable Hall of Fame career for him. So those folks are still, the folks that you're mentioning are still uh, having huge impacts uh, on your alma mater. They are, and I, and I know that, um, you know, Coach Shine, is, who I still keep yeah. in touch with uh, every yeah. so often, is, is still active in the area with, with the television and radio. He is, yeah, he is. And, yeah. Uh, and, and Rich Dakin is the superintendent. Well, and I could, you know, I, Rich um, was two, three years older than me, and Kristen was two years older than me, and and, um, and 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 Rich was someone that I looked up to when I was a freshman. I was fortunate enough as a freshman to play on the junior varsity basketball team, so I shared a locker room with the varsity guys. And Rich was a senior, and and I remember looking up to him, and, and when he went on to Bowling Green, I think I actually wrote him a few letters as a, as a high school kid. Yeah. Just, you know, he's almost he's almost like someone I kind of looked up to as a role model at that time and uh and we still keep in touch we at least probably once a year we're we're communicating and so it yeah it's a lot of great examples for me and and i think in the lima land area in general they're there if you if you look in the right spots yeah no indeed uh well said yeah john stroyer was was my really my first i would say mentor uh my father had died when i was 14 and you know four years later he he was just a he was the perfect uh, role model for me and just a, a total gentleman and uh, a guy that I loved being around and uh, he really grew a program there it's too bad that the program is not where it was when he was there and I think it's a direct uh, there's a direct relationship a correlation there between the person who was running the athletic department and uh, you know what he was able to do with it uh, he was meant to be an athletic director and a coach and uh, he really brought, you know, you played at Muskegon, uh, and I, I don't think I, I had any different experience really at OSU Lima Lima Tech. He ran it like a Division three basketball program, and uh, it was. I look back on it now; it's uh, one of the great experiences of my life. And 
and uh, my good buddy Jay Ellis, who I'm still best buddies with to this day. I just spoke with him uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, he, uh, you know, I wouldn't have had those experiences but for John and him reaching out to me to, to play basketball for him, and and so I'm very grateful for that. I want to uh, get your thoughts on this. Uh, I, I, I follow you on social media, and I've seen a number of books that um, you've uh, promoted. From a leadership standpoint and somebody who is looking to become a, a better leader, uh, do you have a few that uh, or a couple that you you think about that you fall back on and you say that this was a great book? Yeah, I, there are a lot. I, I, I tend to read a lot of biographies because I, of leaders. Yeah. Um, just because I, I find it interesting. I'm more of a nonfiction kind of guy. But, Me too. But I think uh, some really simple books. Um, and, and in fact, I mentioned one earlier. It's not even a book. It's really an essay. It's called A Message to Garcia. It's by a guy named Albert Hubbard. It was written in 1899. It's only about a 10-minute read, and but it, it speaks a lot to uh, to leadership, but more, I think, to character and to how to be successful and, and why it's important to just just do the job. You know, don't um, uh, don't necessarily beat around the bush with inconsequential details. Don't necessarily question every little thing, you know, get the, just go get the job done, right? And that's the point that, that you know, the, the whole premise of the book is President McKinley gives this guy a letter and tells him to deliver it to uh, General Garcia in, in Cuba uh, in, in, at the turn of the century. You know what? Garcia just does it. He, you know, he finds this general in the woods of Cuba. It takes him like three weeks to find him. He doesn't ask why. He just does it. And, uh, and of course, there's, you could argue, well, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't have just blind loyalty. We should question things, and, and I don't disagree with that. But I think that's not necessarily the point of this of this particular book. Yeah. Um, there's another book called Chop Wood, Carry Water, which is very simple. It's a, it, gosh, that's probably a, a one sitting, maybe a two sitting read, uh, and and that's another book that I that I look at a lot because it's it's so quick. You know, I I hate giving people books to read that you know take their 700 pages, folks. Yeah. tend not to finish those, including myself. I, I, I have a hard time with those. But these are books. These are books that are really quick. Uh, I think they they, they give uh, uh, insightful lessons uh, on on just the basics of, of life, of leadership, and, and honestly, to some degree, followership, um, which, which in many cases is just as important as leadership. Yeah. You don't always have to be uh, out front. And sometimes the best leaders are those who are willing to kind of follow at times. Yeah. Uh, so those are. You know, those are two books that I use often when I'm having my mentoring sessions with folks because uh, because of a simple message that they, they convey. Yeah, no, well said. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, one last one from John. Uh, we'll finish up. Uh, is leadership something that is natural or is it taught and learned? Well, I think, I, I think a little bit of both. I think you do have to have it a little bit within you, within your constitution. Uh, to to a you know to want to lead a little bit of that want to is important and that, a lot of that comes from your your sort of your DNA and your constitution but I think you know that's probably in my mind probably twenty five to thirty percent is is probably who you are and, and and your and your makeup you're born with it so to speak I think a larger percentage though is is your experience and um, and your sort of environment and again if you're if you're sort of raised in an environment where there is no leadership, where there are no good examples, I think it's more you're, you're at a little bit of a disadvantage. Uh, we've talked a lot about this hour about um, our experiences, which put leadership right in our face. Mm. We, we, uh, somewhat because of sports, but then also our you know our parents and different folks 
that we were exposed to. Sure. Uh, and we couldn't we, we couldn't look the other way, and so we were we were shaped, we were molded a little bit by those who who were in front of us. And so um, I think that uh, your your experience plays a paramount into that. Uh, but again, I, I think you need I think you need both because I've seen people who have grown up with leadership all around them who are who are not leaders at all. In fact, uh, you know, are, are, in my opinion, sort of anti-leader and, and, and function in a negative capacity. Um, so, uh, both. There. Yeah. There, there's your answer. It's C. C. <laughs> very, C. Very, very well. Yeah, well stated. Uh, all right, I will, I promise, I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, you mentioned Colonel Jessup. Uh, I love, I did love that movie, A Few Good Men. Um, and uh, the, uh, what, what, what would you say, uh, if you had to recommend a, a couple of movies to our audience uh, from the military, what would you recommend? Uh, and we know that there's Hollywood in all of them, and I'm sure you didn't like when uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character told uh, Tom Cruise that, uh, yeah, we like you Navy guys. You, you, whenever we need to go fight, we always, you always give us a ride. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, there's there's a little bit of truth to that, uh, but um, obviously that relationship is uh, a, a great rivalry between the Marines and the Navy. But uh, movies, well, I'll tell you, I I, I would probably uh, say that just for sheer drama uh, and and Hollywood military, the two that I will put the remote down if it's on, even to this day. One you mentioned, A Few Good Men. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Yeah. I mean, it's just a great movie. Even take the military out of it; it's a great story. Right. Uh, and there's 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 lessons in there. I think even that uh, that are maybe hidden to some others may may view it, but there are there are lessons in in that about speaking up and helping your uh, your fellow Marines in that case, or just in general, you can apply that to you know a strong sort of helping the weak um, th- that theme that goes through that movie. And yeah. a, another movie, Matt, that I am almost ashamed to say, it, but it's reality that did influence me uh, because it came out when I was in high school and and uh, was a, a very popular movie, was Top Gun. Yeah. Uh, a corny movie. Yeah. A corny movie. Got it. I look at it now and there are some cringeworthy uh, mm-hmm. moments in that movie. But I will tell you, for a 16-year-old, it had an impact on me. Um, and when I was 19, just a couple of years later, uh, and I was make, having to make a decision as to that I want to, you know, okay, I'm going to do this military scholarship thing to go to medical school, uh, and the Army, the Air Force, and the Navy all all have the same scholarship. Um, I chose the Navy um, because, dang, Tom Cruise was pretty cool in the, in the 80s. Indeed. And, uh, those white uni- you know, the white uniforms were kind of cool. Maybe I could uh, fly jets and, uh, you know, wear the mirror Ray-Bans, and so... Um, I'm not afraid. I can say that I'm, you know, I'm in my fifties now, so I can <laughs> admit to admit to that. I love it. But that was a, that, that's a, that's another good movie. There, there are a lot of great movies that I that I watch. Heartbreak Ridge is another great movie with uh, with Clint Eastwood that uh, yeah. I think is very good. And then there's a fair number of actually historically related uh, movies that, that deal with um, you know certain battles, specifically you know World War. I think back to World War II. And so you know, Saving Private Riot is a great movie. Uh, that that maybe is not this you know there, there may or may not have been a Saving Private Ryan. In fact, there wasn't. But there were a ton of Saving Private Ryan stories yeah. that happened in all in all wars. Yeah. But that, that that's just a great movie that I think does a very good job of bringing out what war can 
war can do to a, to the human uh, spirit. Yeah. yeah, that's so so uh, well refined and, and said. Uh, you know, I, I like the Top Gun. Is Top Gun two? I hear that that's uh, in the works or it's supposed to be coming out. I I kind of don't like that. I like I, I'd rather live in the uh, Top Gun in the nineteen eighty six version of of that, and I loved a few good men. So. Uh, and, and if yeah, I, Matt, you, I, would, I would be your wingman anytime, Matt. And, and, and yours right back at you. I, I will tell you <laughs> this, that uh, if I could get through the uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan, the fir- I saw that in a movie theater, and I couldn't believe the first, I don't know how many minutes of it, if it was eight or ten. Um, that was just a remarkable, um, you know, Steven Spielberg yeah, the, and Tom Hanks. The, was the opening, probably, yeah, 10, 15 minutes of Saving Private Ryan just... Boy, and I and I have been fortunate to not been in, I have not been a part of anything like that, uh, but but it, you certainly feel like you're right you feel like you're right there and it gives you a whole new perspective. But I'm someone who's in the military who hangs out with military people all day, including Marines and soldiers who are on the front lines, and even that seeing that movie was was uh, shocking yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Dr. Sean Hussey, it's been a pleasure to have you on. We're really uh, grateful for your service, grateful for you being a uh, hometown uh, Limaite that's uh, gone on and done so well and been uh, really such a beacon to a lot of folks throughout uh, our world. And uh, we're really proud of what you've done and uh, so glad we could spend uh, this time together. It's going to be great for our leaders. It's archived and uh, it'll be something that uh, will uh, remind our each of our leadership classes going forward on uh, just the uh, different uh, segments of what leadership's about. You put a great perspective on it. So thanks so much. If you wanted to say anything back to the folks in uh, Lima land, uh, we'll sure uh, relay it to everybody. Well, just don't, don't be afraid to dream big. Don't forget where you came from. And Matt, I'm going to end with just saying that don't sell yourself short. I mean, we didn't, I don't recall in the eighties um, having a program like this. Uh, there may have been one. I certainly wasn't involved with it. Um, but what you are doing with, with the Allen Lima leadership and, uh, and this program, and I, I was on your website and I spoke with a few people, but what you and others, uh, but you, I think, as the head, uh, what you're doing to help uh, young people and, uh, and junior people get, uh, you know, the exposure and the mentorship that we talked about through, through programs like this is huge and the impact you're having on, on people. Don't, don't sell that short. And, and I, 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 as a former Lima, I... I consider myself still a Lima, even though I don't live there. Thank you. Thank you for doing that and for, for uh, serving the community. Yeah, thank you very much. No, very kind words. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, stay safe, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, – we hope you get back here uh, in the near future. I'd love to uh, catch up and, and uh, have lunch or uh, a dinner with you and, uh, and uh, be able to do it in person. All right, though. It's a date. Thanks so much. Uh, It's Dr. Sean Hussey, Captain Sean Hussey from Bath High School, Miami University, and the Ohio State University College of Medicine and in the U.S. Navy. We're really proud of what he's done. We thank him for his time today on uh, this edition of Matt's Chats on Leadership. Until the next time, it's Matt Childers, Allen Lima Leadership. Have a great uh, winter and rest of your uh, weekend, folks. Take care.